us here today. We are reading the book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for Marian consecration by Father Michael Gately, who's one of the Marians of the Immaculate Conception up at the Divine Mercy Shrine in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Father Gately's written this wonderful book for busy people like us, and we are gathered here today to read through just two pages a day in the book and learn more about four great saints who were devoted to Mary and how their devotion can help us in our life to become consecrated to Jesus through Mary. Each day we will be reading about one of the Marian giants. We have St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Kolbe, Blessed Mother Teresa, and St. Pope John Paul II. As we read each day and learn about each of these saints and their devotion to Mary, we will be preparing to consecrate ourselves to Jesus through Mary on the Marian Feast Day at the end of the 33 days. Julie, I feel like this is really getting exciting now as we get into the depths of this consecration. And where does this week take us? This week we'll focus on the example and words of the 20th century apostle of Marian consecration, St. Maximilian Mary Colby. Colby knew well de Montfort's Marian teaching and spoke enthusiastically about it. In formulating his own expression of true devotion to Mary, he not only deepened several of de Montfort's insights, but added many new ideas from his own contemplation of the mystery of Mary. Before we turn to his Marian teaching, let's first get to know the man. Father Michael Gately opens up day eight with a question. Who are you, St. Maximilian Colby? If we were to ask the saint this question in an interview, we might be disappointed, at least initially. With gentleness and humility, he would probably reply, Now that's a question that's not so important. What's really important is this one. Who are you, O Immaculate Conception? This answer shouldn't disappoint us if our goal in the interview were to get to know St. Maximilian, for his answer actually tells us a lot about him. In fact, one great passion of his life was to come to know the mystery of Mary, particularly as she revealed herself to St. Bernadette of Lourdes. I am the Immaculate Conception. Why do you think she called herself that, the Immaculate Conception? Isn't her name Mary? Tomorrow, you know, we'll reflect on this intriguing mystery, but today, let's just see what, in our hypothetical interview, Colby wouldn't have answered. We ask ourselves, who is Maximilian Kolbe? He is known by many titles, Martyr of Charity, the Saint of Auschwitz, founder of the Militia Immaculata, Apostle of Mary, and patron saint of the 20th century. But before all of this, he was just Raymond. Raymond Kolbe, who in 1894 was born into a poor Polish farming family, and from the beginning one wouldn't have guessed he'd actually be a great saint. In fact, one day his mother was so frustrated with his behavior that she yelled at him in exasperation, Raymond, what will become of you? Mary, I love that (laughs) quote. Raymond, what will become of you? What mother has not said to any and all of their children, what will become of you? You know, when they're little and Mm -hmm. and they're busy, when they're older and they're distant, we know that God is working something great in each of the lives of our children. But I know I've said that. And that, when I first read that, that the mother of a saint said that about her son. There's I hope. was just so encouraged, <laughs> so encouraged and excited, really, because I have seen that in my own children, especially the ones that are strong-willed, yes. that are very, very difficult 
to train and teach in some ways, and as they have grown, they are in some ways similar to St. Maximilian Colby because they have that purity of intention and they don't let things take them away from their mission and what they're doing. Julie, this shook the boy to the core and it filled him with grief. Hopefully when we say that to our kids, they have that same grief then because he immediately (laughs) turned to his mother of God asking her, what will become of me? Then he went to a church and repeated this question. The future saint recounted what happened next. He said that when the Virgin Mother appeared to me, holding in her hands two crowns, one white and one red, she looked at me with love and she asked me if I would like to have them. The white one meant that I would remain pure and the red that I would be a martyr. I answered, yes, I want them. Then the Virgin looked at me tenderly and disappeared. Oh, I wish we could all say yes like that to the things that God offers us through Our Lady. For St. Maximilian Colby, the white crown of purity came first. He was confirmed in it when, as Brother Maximilian, he professed his religious vows, one of which is chastity. But his purity was not just of the body, for there's another kind of purity, purity of intention. A person who practices purity of intention then directs his thoughts, words, and actions not only to himself or another creature, but to a divine purpose or mission, and ultimately to God. Don't you think that that's an interesting, you know, purity of intention, how difficult it is today with just all the many distractions and to just rightly order, if if we just order ourselves first to God, how everything Mm -hmm. does flow from that, we just kind of resist it. We do, but St. Maximilian Colby didn't. And maybe because of his natural intensity and passion, Colby felt a particularly strong desire to give himself to a specific mission or goal. One of his classmates in the minor seminary relates, he often said that he desired to consecrate his entire life to a great idea. Colby's great idea eventually crystallized into what he called the Militia Immaculata, which he started in 1917 with six of his fellow seminarians. The MI, as the Militia Immaculata is called, truly was a great idea, at least in the sense of its ambition. And what was that ambition? Its goal was nothing less than to bring the whole world to God through Christ under the generalship of Mary Immaculate and to do so as quickly as possible. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty huge. (laughs) Fulfilling this mission through obedience to God's will in union with Mary Immaculate was Colby's entire concern, his pure intention, and he sacrificed everything for its accomplishment, which brings us to the Red Crown. In 1941, after decades of incredibly fruitful apostolic labors in Poland and Japan, Colby was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp. Before his arrest, his brother Franciscans pleaded with him to go into hiding. He said he was grateful for their loving hearts, but couldn't follow their advice. Later, he explained why. I have a mission. The Immaculata has a mission to fulfill. That mission was accomplished on the eve of the Feast of Mary's Assumption into Heaven, when, after having volunteered to take the place of a prisoner condemned to starvation, the impatient Nazis finished Colby off with a lethal injection. Thus, St. Maximilian died a martyr of charity and received his second crown from his Immaculata. Yesterday, actually, I I had the benefit of um, going on my son's field trip, and we went to one of the few uh, 
Holocaust museums in the United States. We're here in St. Petersburg, mm-hmm. and it was really incredible to just immerse yourself in the historical period as I'm reading this, um, and just knowing the depths of the suffering. And what was interesting is I had also read how the prisoners in the camp didn't even realize after Colby had made that huge sacrifice and stepped in because of the pain. They were almost numb. It's almost that feeling now when we pick up the news and it's like Mm -hmm. another bad thing happens, you become numb to it. But one of the great benefits that came out of Maximilian Colby's sacrifice was that the man who he took the place of to die lived through World War II, Mm -hmm. was released from Auschwitz, and spent the rest of his life going around telling people about this sacrifice. So that, to me, and he lived a very long life, so many years after Maximilian's sacrifice, it wasn't forgotten. And so when his cause for canonization was opened, that man and some of the other uh, prisoners that, that witnessed it were able to give testimony at the cause for canonization. And what a gift for us to have that story told, to have that story living today. And I think it really brings for us, for me, home, the small sacrifices Mm -hmm. that we have to make each day. And, you know, that quote from the Bible, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That was true of our Lord, but certainly could be applied to St. Maximilian Colby, and hopefully it can be applied to each of us. So let's finish with today's prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, living in Mary, make me pure in body and spirit, and help me to die to myself. Amen. Amen. And that is our reading for the day from 33 Days to Morning Glory, a do-it-yourself retreat by Father Michael Gately. As we wrap up day eight, our second week of consecration preparation. Coming up for the rest of the show, we are going to review the questions and meditation thoughts that are in the workbook, the Retreat Companion, that is written by Carol R. Younger. If you would like to get copies of these materials, the book and the workbook, you can get them at 33daystomorningglory.com. That's 33daystomorningglory.com. And remember, at the very end of the show, we will review some of the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort, going over some of the prayers, whatever we can work in for the day and rehash the meditation questions. You can think about those questions while you listen to the prayers that have been put to music. Immediately following this break, we're going to pray together the Subtuum Parasidium, which is our prayer of the week that we are also called to pray each and every day. All that is still yet to come on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. Listening to Immaculate Mary by Marian Grace. To hear more, visit us at lovegoodmusic.com. Blessed 
Welcome back to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. Before we get into our questions for our 33 Days to Morning Glory retreat, which is preparation for Marian consecration, let's pray our weekly prayer that we're called to pray every single day. And this week's prayer is the Subtuum Presidium. We fly to your patronage, O Holy Mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us from all danger. O ever-glorious and blessed Virgin, Amen. Time that we get to our workbook now, our 33 Days to Morning Glory Retreat Companion, written by Carol R. Younger. You can get a copy of all of these materials at 33daystomorningglory.com. That's 33daystomorningglory.com. We are on day eight of the workbook, which is on page 47. And our first question that we are to ponder throughout the day, and sometimes these feel like more than one question because there's multiple thoughts contained, but kind of summarize it into, into what question jumps out to you the most. St. Maximilian Kolbe wanted both the white crown and the red crown, purity and martyrdom. Purity of soul and body prepared him for martyrdom, to grow in holiness, to grow in purity of soul and body. We need Mary's intercession. What ways can Mary's powerful intercession help you grow in holiness? Are you ready to ask her for her intercession and guidance in seeking holiness? Mary, I love this last question. Are you ready to ask her for intercession? Some of us might be thinking, I don't think I'm ready. I don't even know what that means. And some of us might be thinking, yes, I'm ready. I need help, all the help I can get. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I'm in that second camp, like I'm ready and I and I need that help so much. And one of the things I would share with people who are not sure if they're ready is just trust in her and try it. You have nothing to lose by trying to get to know her better and placing your hope in her. And she will come. She will work in your life. And sometimes it's not until after the fact that we really can see what's been going on kind of behind the scenes. Julie, I I think you're right. That word intercession kind of comes off the page and, and can be a stumbling block for some. And I think especially as a mother, we all are mothers, so we can all relate, and I'm sure there's people listening that can relate to that, is that it's it's so natural sometimes for us to resist help in our role as mothers. Don't we need it every moment, every moment to to deal with some of the things that just make you want to go to bed and go, I just can't do this tomorrow, and then you get up with prayer and, and you start it all over again. And Mary's intercession, if you think about how I would call Mary Beth if I was having a hard time and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need your help. Um, As a friend, a fellow Christian, sister in Christ, she would right away say, of course, I'll pray for you. And as we understand Mary and the saints, they are now in heaven at the throne of grace, at the right hand of God, the Father and Jesus, his son, and they're in the beatific vision. So how much more powerful are their prayers and Mary's in particular, because she was conceived without sin, than all the other saints combined who were sinners. When we ask her intercession, we're really getting something there, because she has purity of heart, purity of intention, just like St. Maximilian Colby is challenging us to have, and she's really going to be there for us. And how often intercession is that person, that friend, that comes just at the right mm-hmm. time. So intercession, as we ask Mary for help, she gives us help. It just is absolutely in the form of, you know, the mystical body of Christ. And what that is, it's the people that we're encountering, 
that are willing to help us, that, that meet us at that point and stop everything that they're doing and going, I'll lend you a hand. I'll, I'll take you here. I'll take you to that appointment. I'll pray for you. We just have to say yes. <laughs> Another thing, too, that I think about when I think about the saints in heaven and their intercession on our behalf, they also don't have soccer, their favorite TV game, the Internet, all these distractions that we have. Their, their days are committed to supporting us and praying for us. And they're more fully alive yes. than they were yes. on earth. That is something hard to lean on, but they are united with God in, in some form, so that whether they're in uh, purgatory or united uh, with God uh, in eternal eternity at this point, they, they are interceding powerfully for us. One of the sentences in that question that you asked, Mary, is what ways can Mary's powerful intercession help us and grow in that holiness. And a lot of us will remember a few years back, everybody that had that slogan, WWJD, Mm -hmm. you know, bracelets, bumper stickers, what would Jesus do? And that came to my mind as I was thinking and praying over these questions, WWMD, what would Mary do? (laughs) And I love thinking about that, because as we try to grow in holiness, only through God's grace, the way in which I think we grow many times is through the power of example. You know, we see somebody else that's doing something and we say, oh, maybe I can try that. Well, as we look to Mary and try to imitate her as much as we can, uh, that to me really is is where I want to be. I want to grow in that holiness. What would Mary do? Let's get on to question number two of our workbook companion. Purity of intention. A person practices purity of intention when he directs his thoughts, words, and actions not to himself or another creature, but to a divine purpose or mission, and ultimately to God. Such an attitude of the heart avoids doing things for selfish reasons, and instead tries to do all things out of love for God and for His glory. Can you give an example from your life of a situation in which you believe you acted with purity of intention? What do you need from God through Mary to make this a regular virtue in your life? Well, Mary, I remember something very specific uh, about four years ago when we adopted our son. And I can tell you at the point where we were in our life, we had four children under the age of eight at that point. And I definitely didn't need anything more on our plate. But my husband and I you know, just kept feeling this calling that we could open up our home. And I look back and I know that purity of intention in that situation because the normal thing would be, wow, we're close to almost, you know, being able to get out and do things, go out on a, mm-hmm. you know, on a Friday night ourselves. And, and, and we kept hearing it, that, that that's what we, we, we were called to do. Eventually did happen, and we were able to adopt our son. And every time I hear in Matthew 25, you know, whatever you did for the least ones, you did it for me. It really made it come alive, excuse me, come alive for me as, as a Christian, just seeking, just trying to go down that spiritual journey and to hear God's will for our life more than our own will. And that's a great question. How do we hear the will of God? Many of us want to know, what is the will of God in my life today? And Mary Beth, as you were hearing that calling to first foster a child and then adopt a child, I think why you and your husband were able to hear that so clearly is because you do have that daily routine of prayer. You were always up in the morning early, you know, reading the Bible or or praying or 
talk a little bit about how you felt like you heard that calling because you didn't hear a voice come down from heaven say adopt this <laughs> child, obviously. So talk a little bit about how you make that regular appointment with God in your life. Well, it always wasn't like this. I think a lot of times for me personally, my physical exercise has actually helped my spiritual exercise and in, in the way that it's habitual. I've gotten into the habit of doing something um, at a regular time during the day, which when you have small children, sometimes the only time you can get quiet time, for me it's it's in the morning before everybody's up, before the house is moving. And I found that time to be a source of joy. And, and it was not an overnight thing, but I found just the habit of carving out that appointment, that time. And I'm talking over a 10-year period. And, and some of the listeners may be saying, oh, no, I, I don't. I can't I'm get up. Thinking that far ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can't get up. But it, it just, and it may be nighttime. I think for mothers, and I was just telling my husband this yesterday, that I need to start in the morning because it, it gives me the fuel, the food for that day. And, and some people may say, well, I'll do it at night. And then you kind of review the day. Well, we can do that too. But I just find it's really, I, I have a good opportunity if I start first thing. When my children were little, lunchtime and nap time were like the prime time for me to take a break. Because I, you know, sometimes the mornings are just really hectic and mm -hmm. Uh, if you're not so much a morning person, that can be hard to get up even earlier. But that middle of the day was a great stopping point. I remember so many times putting the kids down. I didn't care if they slept. I just wanted them in their room with giving me a little bit of a break, right? And I would sit on that couch and open the Bible or open some uh, Bible study questions or a book I was reading and just really ask our Lord, please, you know, speak to me about this or that that I'm wondering about and questioning. And as I've grown to understand Scripture, when St. Paul says to pray unceasingly, you know, it doesn't have to be that actual physical rote prayer or time. I've grown to understand that when it's not your, your day, there may be things that come up that's called your vocation, that you can offer that in prayer, whether it be just, you know, doing the laundry or cleaning the kitchen or something like that, while I try to still carve out that time. I don't beat myself up if it doesn't happen. I just try to get back to it the next day, just like I would exercise. I want to say kudos to everybody as we're wrapping up here, the first two questions of, of day eight. We're still here. We're still making this happen with our 33-day preparation for consecration to Jesus Christ through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We do have two questions left to come up for today, and they will be coming up right after this break on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. You're listening to Immaculate Mary by Mary and Grace. To hear more, visit us at lovegoodmusic.com. Blessed the 
back to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham. We have Julie Musselman and Mary Beth Finster with us today as we prepare our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to consecrate to Jesus Christ through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This is a 33-day preparation. That means we spend 33 days learning and praying and preparing our hearts. And we have questions, discussion questions that will help us to reflect and ponder the things that we have heard. We are on the second two questions for today, which is day eight of our retreat. There are significant dates. We're going to talk about those. St. Maximilian Kolbe was martyred in 1941. It was on the eve of the Marian Feast of the Assumption. Julie, can you share with us a little bit about what the Assumption is? Sure. The Assumption is a solemnity, a feast day in the Catholic Church, and it puts in time on August 15th every year. We recall that the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, died and was bodily assumed into heaven. And this is just a foretaste of our own bodily resurrection at the end of time. She did not experience death and decay because she was immaculately conceived. And uh, we celebrate that beautiful uh, teaching about Mary on August 15th every year. And so St. Maximilian Kolbe was martyred on the eve of that feast, which was August 14th, 1941. We all have significant dates in our lives. What are some of yours? Think about how you will make the date of your consecration significant throughout your lifetime and any ideas on that. The first thing I think of is as we're moving towards that Marian feast, towards consecration, that day will become a very special day in our life. And there's Marian feast days throughout the year. So the consecration, if you've already consecrated, you can reconsecrate, you can share it, future dates each month. But for me, the first time I consecrated uh, using 33 Days to Morning Glory was back in uh, May 13th of 2013, and it's the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. And that story of Our Lady of Fatima and her connection with John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, really had a, a great, powerful meaning in my life. If you recall in the life of Pope John Paul II, May 13, 1981 was the date that he was uh, almost assassinated, uh, Ali Aga, put a bullet, two bullets, you know, at mm-hmm. point-blank range, and John Paul survived it, and he did not miss that that happened on May 13th, the day that we celebrate Our Lady of Fatima, and he really later said that one hand shot the bullet, but another hand guided it and saved his life. And for in, in my own life, you know, the dates of my wedding anniversary, the dates of each of our children when they were born, and also their, their, their saint day. We have uh, one of our sons is Robert, and so September 17th, we celebrate St. Robert Bellarmine. Uh, John, we celebrate John the Evangelist December 16th, excuse me, December 26th. Our son Joseph, he gets two days, March 19th and May 1st. And William James gets July 25th. And our daughter Mary gets, gets a, bunch. Like a, a feast <laughs> every month. <laughs> and Julie, when you mentioned John Paul II and how he put all those pieces together when he was shot and then the feast day, that's not just for great saints. It's for us, too. And, and how often things just scream out at me sometimes when it's occurring but it might be a few years later, I'm like, oh, the timing of that. And God communicates through these dates. No moment in the spiritual 
journey is happenstance. It's all ordained by God. Sometimes when we mark the dates, though, it really helps us remember that something significantly significant happened on them because many times when we're busy, you don't even know what day it is. What day is it, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> the date that for me has always been at the time before I really understood the Catholic faith was February 11th, and that I think I might have explained before was a date that... I have to say that's my birthday. And you know what's interesting is that it, it's such a beautiful day. At the time, it was a, a good Friday for me when my husband had gone into a coma. Mm-hmm. My mother was diagnosed with cancer, and it was just at the point oh. where I was at the lowest point of my life. And now, as I look back, when I now am learning about the saints, that it's the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes, mm-hmm. and there's so many beautiful things on suffering that our church has revealed on February 11th, and that Mary Graham was born. That, most of all. (laughs) I was born that day. (laughs) Well, you know, I have to say, speaking of birthdays, we consecrated as a family a couple of years ago, and we chose the assumption, August 15th, that's my youngest daughter's birthday. So we remember our consecration very well. I just, I find that I have multiple consecration dates. Is that okay? Because I've done, I, I, you you know, it's kind of, it's nice (laughs) to do it annually. Some people think that after they do it once, that's it. There's many people that I talk to that do it once a year. I have found that I just love unpacking this and and a couple friends who don't know how to do it. I'll say, oh, I'll join in with you or, or a family member. And I end up doing it again. And so I have multiple consecration dates, but they're all beautiful. Speaking of consecration dates and having multiple ones and and renewing your consecration, I actually had a question just yesterday from a friend, and she wanted to know if she could do the retreat a second time. Absolutely. And if you've done the consecration alone, I would say do it every year. And then I would say also join a group, do it with a friend, even just two friends like we're doing here on the radio, brings out so much more about the consecration uh, itself and, and helps you prepare better to make it again. And if you do an even bigger group, whether it's at your parish or your home, uh, you just see the vibrancy of the faith come alive in the lives of all these people and their own stories and, and living the faith together with you. And Mary, whenever you do a retreat, doesn't it always matter what where you are in your lived experience? So where, where you yes. were a year ago is not how you're going to look at these questions. It's all going to come alive in a different place wherever you are right now with maybe new joys, new sufferings. Let's move on to question number four. St. Maximilian strove to do everything through obedience to God's will in union with Mary Immaculate. This is dying to self and living for the glory of God. A second look at what aspects of your personal self must die might be good right here. What help from Mary and the Holy Spirit do you need? It's good to point out here that these are just our own personal reflections. Everyone who's listening is going to have their own answer to these types of questions, but we're sharing our hearts just to kind of encourage you to know you're not alone and that uh, give you an example of, of what, you know, we're feeling and and seeking from this so that it might ring home with you. Just focusing sometimes on that one thing in your life that's sometimes a barrier uh, where you know if you've asked God, what is it? What is it? If you ask him, he'll reveal it to you. When I had to step down uh, in my position as a physical therapist and then I chose to to stay home with the children, Mm -hmm. there was definitely dying to self 
in that situation. And that was something that's taken me, you know, quite some time. When you don't get thanked, when you aren't standing up in front of an audience and getting accolades or receiving degrees and and, and pats on the back, I had to understand that every day not everybody's going to say thank you for the little things that I do. The thank you comes at the end, right? We read in the book of Proverbs, yes. <laughs> chapter 31, their children rise up and praise her. It takes a long time to get that. Thank you. <laughs> There's a song that keeps coming into my head as I'm thinking about dying to self. It's by Brooke Frazier, Lead Me to the Cross, Where Your Love's Poured Out. And one of the lines in there is, Bring me to my knees, may I lay it down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me, lead me to the cross. And it's so hard, I think, to die to self. And yet motherhood and family life is a great training ground, right? Because Absolutely. guess what? You're not getting up when you want to get up, and you're not eating what you want to eat when you want to eat it. And those That's clothes right. that are piled up, guess who's doing that laundry? So it's a training ground for not only for our children, but I think even more so for me as a mother. And I've watched my husband sacrifice so much over the years and, and lay his life down for our family and And that's really where the fruit comes. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of of wheat. But when it does die, then you have the bloom and the blossom. We have to remember, too, dying to self doesn't mean a physical. It's a spiritual dying. It's a dying to those those desires to maybe gossip about somebody. It's, you know, just those sins that come into our life every single day. I think, too, when you are starting to raise a family, is that not one of the most difficult transitions when you're two independent people and you start having to take care of kids and one person gets to go do something and just that back and forth, well, I'm here with the kids and he's going somewhere. And that is something that I think every couple, it's a huge opportunity for growth in love and sacrifice and not saying anything and just being, you know, communicating, of course, and being fair to each other, but just taking that and letting your spouse go and do those things that help to fulfill them so that they come back a better spouse. A good friend of mine said once about that very same thing, Mary Beth, the pull of husband and wife, of who gets a timeout and who, yes. gets, <laughs> who gets a break. He said, Julie, don't start counting because you both have to be all in, and if you could go in tit for tat, it's never going to be good. <laughs> yeah, Very when we get good ma- advice. <laughs> well, when we get married, we think it's 50-50. No. But it's not. It's 100 100- a hundred. Yep. That wraps up our questions for today on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. Going into this break, we're going to listen to that song that you mentioned, Julie, by Brooke Frazier, Lead Me to the Cross. And after this break, we're going to get into the, the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort. That's all yet to come here on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. Savior, I come, quiet my soul.
Now is the time in our consecration preparation that we look at the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort and what were the prayers and readings that he looked at as he prepared his heart to be consecrated to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The first step for day eight is to read from The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. It is book one, chapter 13, and it's about resisting temptations. If you would like to read this reading, it is on fisheaters.com. Our first prayer for today is once again, Vene Creator. So we listen to this prayer being sung. Let's ponder our first two discussion questions. Number one, what ways can Mary's powerful intercession help you grow in holiness? Are you ready to ask her for her intercession and guidance in seeking holiness? Question number two, can you give an example from your life of a situation in which you believe you acted with purity of intention? What do you need from God through Mary to make this a regular virtue in your life? Oh, 
going to ponder questions three and four now as we listen to Marion Grace. Question number three, what are some significant dates in your life? Think about how you will make the date of your consecration significant throughout your lifetime. And do you have any ideas? And question number four, what help from Mary and the Holy Spirit do you need as you continue your journey of dying to self and living for the glory of God?
that St. Louis focuses on is the Magnificat, which comes directly from the scriptures. Let us pray. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. That is Luke 1, 46 through 55. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. That wraps up day eight of our preparation for consecration to Jesus Christ, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Just a reminder that Real Life Radio is a nonprofit organization. We are a listener-supported radio station. We would love to have you be a part of our team. Visit realliferadio.com. That's realliferadio.com. And click on the Care to Share button. Together we are reaching the next generation. This has been Living Witnesses with Mary Graham. We pray for our mother, the church of